Welcome to Techlandia, a podcast about and for the technology industry, a place to learn, connect, and engage with leaders and thinkers involved in the technology industry. You can check us out at techoregon.org, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good afternoon and welcome to this edition of Techlandia, the podcast where we connect, grow, and learn. Uh, super excited uh, today's episode. Uh, we have Jonathan Hensley, who's the CEO of Emerge, and Jim Gochi, who's the CEO of Blameless. And we are going to kind of demystify product and the role of product in a company. And we have two subject matter experts Uh two really great guys uh, to just have a conversation and uh, we'll go from there. So welcome to the show, John and Jim. Thanks so much for having us. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you. And um, let you guys introduce yourself. Why don't we go with Jonathan first? Jonathan, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about you? Sure. Uh, again, really excited, Tim, to, to be on the show today. Um, my background, I've been in product for a little over 25 years, uh, working with startups and Fortune 500 companies over that career, um, helping uh, launch and bring to market close to 200 products in that time, uh, and uh, have just found an absolute love and passion for solving the problems that come around bringing great products to life. Wow. That's awesome. 200 products. That's amazing. Um, well, welcome again. Welcome to the show. And Jim, I'll let you yeah. introduce yourself. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Jim Gochi. Um, I started my career as an engineer, so I'm kind of a software developer by trade and uh, sort of got into product management about halfway into my career and, and really just fell in love with it. Um, I really enjoyed coding. But I think what I really enjoyed more was the, you know, the whole life cycle of of building the thing. And we're going to we're going to get into more about that. But um, I really have had a strong passion for it. Love, love building software products. Uh, and and honestly, too, it's like one of those things uh, continuing to learn. Uh, and so very excited to be here with Jonathan and, uh, you know, kind of discuss our own, our points of view and uh, hopefully learn some new things. Well, I'm really looking forward to it. So thank you both for being on the show. And, you know, I'll let you guys, uh, I'll let you guys kind of take it. Like, uh, I think we're going to demystify product. So, yeah, you know, Jonathan and I, um, we, we had a coffee the other day and we just realized there's so much we could talk about, but, you know, we're so deep into it that, uh, you know, I think we could just start maybe, you know, Jonathan, like what, like, what is a product manager? Like maybe let's just sketch out. Like at a very high level, like what is the what does this role do within a, within a company? Well, I think you know it's it's a tough one because in every organization, what that role tends to evolve into is a little different. I know that when we were talking over coffee, you know, in, in an ideal world, you know, a product manager is there to manage the value of the product, how that product uh, value is created and delivered to customers. But oftentimes, as, as you commented on, uh, Jim, it's 
it becomes something very different. And there's a lot more on the table that we're leaning into product management to help cover and address for us. And, you know, I think, you know, you have so much experience in that. I think, it, you know, it's fascinating to see how you've seen that kind of evolve and shape in different types of organizations at different scale. Yeah, you know, I love how you talk about it. In in a simpler sense, the product manager is the one who makes a lot of the decisions about what gets built. But that's really that's an oversimplification. Um, and you know, Jonathan, like I think what's great uh, about the way you look at it is, you know, like yeah, you can sort of start with you know, product manager directs an engineering team building software. And so, you know, tell them what to do and build this and build this. Sometimes, you know, I like to say that the product manager uh, is the customer of the software development team. In other words, like they tell the team what to build, the team builds it. Product managers like, does this meet, you know, the needs that I believe the market's going to have? But but honestly, you're right. Like it's better to go up and think about this concept of, of value creation and are we are we delivering the the value? Maybe let's talk about this value creation concept because it's really probably at the very top of the hierarchy of of what's going on here. So, do you want to maybe you can elaborate a little bit more? Like, how would you explain that to you know someone who maybe didn't understand what what that means at first blush? Yeah, I think it's a it's a great place to start. So, when I think about value creation and the, the role of product management. It's really managing this intersection of how am I going to create value for a customer that creates enough value for them to consider, adopt, and use our product successfully and willing to make some sort of exchange for that, whether that be time or money or whatever that value exchange looks like, and how that impact on the customer drive the actual business itself. So we're looking, we have two ends of the spectrum we have to create value for the customer and the business, and they're not always one-to-one. And so product managers have this incredibly, you know, intricate job of balancing, you know, the needs and expectations and perceptions of customers with the objectives and the resources available and all of the other things that are happening within an organization and trying to find that perfect alignment or that perfect match so that the company can focus on the right things at the right time and bring those things to market. And I think that product managers just have such an amazing opportunity because they live at the intersection of falling in love with the problems they're solving and then also needing to be leaders in developing the best solutions. You know, I really like how you talked about that the only way people are going to give you their time or their money uh, is is if it's valuable enough. And the, I like how you talk about value because, you know, sometimes in my head, I think a little more practically speaking, which is someone has a problem and you build a product to solve it. That's that's really not everything. Um, you know, I just uh, spent, I don't know how much it was, $1,000 on that brand new fancy Apple Watch, the, the one, you know, active one. It's not like I had a problem, but I found it to be valuable enough for, for different reasons that I spent the money doing it. And so at the end of the day, you know, the only way you're going to operate a business and have a successful product is if people, you know, look at what you have, they think it's valuable for them in their current situation, whatever that may be, and they're willing to to hand over money for it. 
So I'm really curious, Jim, where do you see from your experience um, leaders or organizations struggle the most in understanding the value that needs to be created for them to be set up to for success? Well, you know, let's take the case where there's already an existing product and maybe you're you are hired into it. And I think a lot of times products just get created because someone had an idea. And often that idea is something that maybe they personally noticed was something that they were missing in their own lives. You see a lot of this happening. A lot of startups in particular are created by a founder who experienced some problem, something was missing, you know, in their, uh, in their maybe prior life or prior job. And they thought to myself, oh my gosh, like I'm going to go start a company that builds this thing because I needed this thing. And so conceptually, you have this idea of a product, but, you know, honestly, it's probably just valuable to you. And there's a real danger in, you know, starting a company, building a product that's just valuable for you, because really what you got to do is make sure it's valuable to many other people as well. Otherwise, it's not going to be viable. And I think, um, you know, I think a lot of companies don't really do that deep thinking of, you know, what is the value that I bring to the table? Do I really understand? And let me, this is another important thing because Jonathan, I feel like a lot of products solve part of a problem or they have partial value. But only when you dig deeply into it with customer conversations and really in really deep, honest, like deep research into what's going on with your customer, do you realize there's a often a bigger thing happening? They uh, only get part of the value from you and they have to fill in the gaps elsewhere. And that's a very common thing, right? It's very rare that the product that you buy, like, does everything you need. How many times have you been in that situation? Where it's like, <laughs> wow, this product is like, it's pretty good, but it doesn't really do everything. And you get the sense like, does this company really understand what I'm facing? Because like this product, again, does it partially, but it really, it really doesn't fully satisfy what I need done. Oh my gosh, I've been in that situation countless times. It's it's so true. And I think it's also a challenge, you know, especially in today's market, um, more than ever, if if you're trying to understand, you know, are you solving that problem effectively, like you're talking about, you know, one of the the key things that I tend to see a lot from the the work I do is is, you know, there's this gap between Okay, well, you know, I've I've created this product that's, you know, does this thing better than the alternative from my experience, but I don't really understand the the value I need to bring to somebody either by the outcome that product produces and especially what is the emotional factor and that comes to that and that's not just individual based but that's inherited by what kind of industry you're in. You know, are you in a high trust industry, a low trust industry? What are kind of the expectations of that market? And that that kind of that emotional intelligence aspect to under understanding and defining value, I think is one of the most difficult things that I see a lot of people challenge with where they maybe have technically a brilliant solution, but finding out how they introduce, deliver, and reinforce that value through the experience of that product becomes um, a huge barrier to their success. 
Yeah. You know, I like how you just said emotional intelligence. And I think, I think what you're really scratching at there is functionally, you can build a product that does something. However, if people really aren't able to use it properly, that would lead to frustration. Um, you know, like maybe the workflows, you just don't really understand their workflows. You really haven't like lived in the customer's shoes. You haven't fully felt their pain, right? And, th- and, and this is not an uncommon thing, probably. I see it in tech a lot, you know? So, you know, there's there's lots of different types of products out there. And, you know, my specialty is, is more on the te- technology products. Think of all of the really bad enterprise software user interfaces, you know, from just like decades and decades ago. I mean, just putting users through the, you know, just the grinder of like, I've got to get my job done and this product is so painful to use, right? Um, it's almost like they never really thought about me as as the user of this thing. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think, but that's also... You know, like you said, like the, this legacy software that's out there that set those expectations. I think, you know, the especially within B two B products, you know, we've seen this massive uh, push for the consumerization of the enterprise, consumer grade experiences that are driving these products, um, which is something that I'm absolutely thrilled to see because at the end of the day, these products are becoming more valuable, and the more usable and accessible they are you know, we're creating, you know, huge leaps in potential value um, and increase of impact for customers. So I'm hoping that we continue to see that aggressive push. Yeah, it's a really interesting trend. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you correct me if you have a different point of view, but I think what companies have seen is users in the business context actually now do value and appreciate ease of use and a good user interface and really something that honestly just like takes time off their plate. So in other words, you know, you have two products in the market. They both functionally will get the job done. Um, A customer is going to evaluate both and they're going to end up, as long as they functionally kind of get the job done, they're going to pick the product that was just easier to use. It's not that they're like lazy. But like they're going to be using this thing a lot, and that's like a lot of potential wasted time and frustration if the user interface is really poor. Yeah, absolutely. I think some of the other steps that get um, you know not as much attention as they should, especially if you're selling like a, a B2B product, right? That sales cycle is so different when you're bringing that product to market. I mean, you know, it's you've got you know somebody who might be evaluating your product, but they're not the decision maker. Maker, so they're having to validate that it's going to solve the problem as good or better than any other alternative option, which could be not to implement a product at all. And they also have to build consensus across all the stakeholders, where if that product is adopted, it's going to impact all of these different potential users or functions within the organization. And so, if you're not thinking about that value creation and how you support that individual and bringing that conversation through in your product, you're putting a lot of that effort on an individual, maybe a salesperson who's out there or a sales engineer who's being participating in the sales process versus actually being able to let the product drive the value that, that you're offering. Yeah, I know. I, re- I really like what you said there. Uh, you know, there's a concept 
<clears throat> called product market fit. And that's probably one that people have heard about. And if, if you haven't heard about product market fit, it's basically like, you know, do you have a pretty good product for a certain market, you know, sort of problem area or value area? Do you have a pretty good product? There's a whole other thing, though, that's a really important consideration. And in, you know, especially SaaS delivered B2B, it's this concept of go-to-market fit. And you kind of scratch on some of those elements of the purchase lifecycle and journey and the different constituents that can be involved in a purchasing decision within a business. You know, like if you think about like as an individual um, you know, you, you make a purchase decision in your everyday life. Maybe you consult with a partner. Maybe you just don't, you just buy stuff like that's you. Typically when you're working in a business and there's lots of people that are going to use this thing, like you, you know, will form a selection committee and you have a few people looking at it and, and, and whatnot. If you, as the, as the product manager, again, directing the product, haven't thought about the trial haven't thought about who the different constituents are and what you're going to do to appeal to them and haven't worked with your sales team to coach them on that and worked with your marketing team and how to position it properly, then you may actually have a very good product that's struggling in the market because it's not going through the selling motion very well from the buyer's perspective. And so this is a really in interesting concept of like, you know, how product managers need to think about that buying journey. Yeah, I've been loving this distinction um, and, you know, separation of product market fit and go to market fit that there's actually, you know, it's it's two different things to, to really look at um, understanding and how they work together. And I think that when you talk about the role of product management in that, in that distinction, I think that's an invaluable concept for anybody to really understand about bringing, you know, successful products to market, um, because it may not be the product that's the problem. It may be more of the approach to, you know, that go to market or vice versa. And so it's a really helpful lens, I think, in making sure you're focused on the right aspects of things. You know, here's an example of that, Jonathan. Um, let's say you had two similar products in the market and a buyer is able to Google and search and discovers both of them. Um, one of them on the website says, you know, contact a salesperson for a trial. And the other says, click now to sign up for free and try it yourself. That's in the, that's a real world example of a difference of kind of what we're talking about where that, selling motion in other words customers in a buying motion and they see those two pathways open to them and i think if you're if you're listening to this you're thinking to yourself oh okay well i don't want to talk to the salesperson because you know all i know is that that's going to involve but i can try someone's product for free and really see what it does myself i'm probably just going to go that direction i may i may never even look at the other product yeah i jim i I love that example because I think it touches on another thing that we had talked about previously that, that is right at the center of this. That is, I think, a really important concept for, for anybody as a business, but especially in product to understand, which is time to value. You know, in that example that you're giving, you know, it's like being able to sign up 
and experience that product, the time it takes you to do that versus having to go through the rep and what that looks like. If the value of that potential product is not being introduced clearly enough and you can't lower that bar that in that timeline to value to self-identify that, that solution, you might be losing a huge percentage of your market opportunity. You know, time to value is is a huge thing, but it's going to vary based on the kind of product you have in the market you're selling into. You know, if it's the kind of a product and the kind of a market where, you know, it's a lower price point, and maybe there's not, you know, necessarily like a lot of research being done. Um, let's take like a calendar scheduling uh, service, right? So people have probably heard of Calendly. Um, it's, you know, I need to schedule a, a meeting with you. I don't want to give you access to my whole calendar, but I want a system who has access to my calendar and can show you my free spots and let you sign up, you know, for a, a free slot that I have. Like, I'm not going to spend months and months and months evaluating products in that category. Now, however, if I was buying a, you know, ERP system or a financial backend system, I might spend months and months and months evaluating all the, all the products in the market. So um, time, to, time to value, if it's, you know, more of a consumer looking purchase or, you know, sort of consumer-ish B2B purchase, that time may be really, really short. Um, but there is a time at which like you better had communicate the value quickly. Otherwise you may lose somebody. And I mean, even on a longer evaluation, it could be a two month evaluation. If someone still hasn't seen the value after the first couple of meetings, they may not keep going with you to do a trial. Um, cause usually for that style of product, you might have a first couple of intro meetings, give a demo because no one knows what you have. And so you need to be able to like, in a, you know, in say 30 to 60 minutes, like, let me tell you what I've got. And if they're like, yeah, that's, that's about what we're looking for. We're going to go through an extended buying cycle, but you might lose them if you can't, if that value just doesn't, doesn't come through properly. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And time to value is certainly, you know, all has to be kept in context. I mean, like you said, if you're an ERP system, it's one thing. You know, today the expectations with, you know, most, you know, uh, generative AI products is immediacy, right? So it's going to be relative to the context of, of how it's used. But, you know, so within that, you know, with product management kind of circling back to that, how do you balance that, you know, owning of creating value in the product, but then that collaboration that you have to have of how that value is going to be communicating brought to market, let's say by your marketing team or your sales team or how you're enabling you, you know, customer service or a success team to actually, you know, reinforce that and making sure that that, that collaboration is effective. Cause I think a lot of, you know, folks struggle with, you know, well, how do I build a product team? What does that have to look like in order to be set up for something that can succeed and eventually hopefully scale? You know, the model that I like is thinking of the product manager as the CEO of the product. Now, in a very, very tiny company, you know, where there's like a CEO and one product manager, that's a weird concept. But in larger companies, you maybe have multi-products and things like that. I think this is a really nice way to think about a product manager. And many companies, and I've seen this work really successfully, 
basically give a revenue target number directly to the product manager for their product. And so then what you want to really do is basically make sure they understand and are able to, to effectively collaborate with really the rest of the functional groups. And it's, and it's going to be, you know, in a, in a digital business, it'll be every other functional group and that's marketing and sales and finance and customer support and customer success and all that. They need to collaborate heavily because those organizations are going to need a lot of direction on what to do. And they may push back and it could be very collaborative. You know, obviously the most, you know, the most successful relationships with the product manager in any of those situations will be very, very collaborative. In other words, the product manager may tell a sales team, I think this is how we want to sell it. And the sales team will come back and say, okay, we're trying that, but here's what, here's what we're hearing. And we're trying to sell it in slightly different ways. Does this make sense to you? Because this seems to sell better this way. How do you feel about that? So it's always going to be a back and forth, but the product manager is going to be at the middle of working with sales on how to sell in position, working with marketing on how to, you know, put the word out and build demand, working with support, working with customer success, how do we onboard, make customers successful so they they purchase. Um, and then, of course, the most obvious collaboration we, have, we haven't touched on at all is with the engineering team building the product. Um, but there's so much to talk about and how they engage with customers in the market that almost like the building the product to me is in many ways like, you know, for another podcast or something. But um, yeah, there's just really an, uh, there's an awful lot to do. And, and really, I think the product manager has to be at the at the center of it to be successful. Yeah, I I totally agree with that perspective. I think the you know product management really has to have some some real ownership. And um, you know, I know you know Mark Andreessen when he talked about you know product management as you know the CEO of the product. You know, that's that's a a thing I think that works very well. I'm curious too from from perspective because one of the challenges that when I'm talking to folks I hear about a lot is product managers that have that set of responsibility, but not necessarily the authority in their organization to operate as the CEO of the product. How have you seen it be successful to kind of navigate that and where, you know, there needs to be a certain level of autonomy to be successful in that structure versus, you know, making sure there's a proper, you know, decision-making framework and acknowledgement of certain decisions need to be you know, brought to the top of the organization because they have much more significant impact? You know, it's a great question. Um, I, I have like one framework that I've used in the past that I that I think you can be successful with. So let's say, for example, um, Jonathan, you're the product manager on a $50 million product at, you know, big company XYZ. And I've told you, okay, Jonathan, like, you know, you, you report into the product management organization. So there's like, you know, there's a head of product management. Let's say you report to them. But I'm like, Jonathan, I'm holding you accountable to, to take this product from $50 million to $100 million next year. And so, you know, you're sitting here thinking, okay, that's fine, Jim. Thank you for that. You know, you're going to hold me accountable to tumbling revenue, but I don't control the marketing team and I don't control the sales team and I don't control all this other stuff, right? So you're sitting here thinking like, okay, how do I make this happen? 
And so really the framework that I like to use is John, like Jonathan, I want you to stand up and tell me what you need from the other businesses. And by me, you know, maybe I'm the CEO or the head of product management, but I'm like, what do you need from sales? What do you need them to do? What do you need from marketing in order for this to be successful? So basically you're going to say like, look, I don't run these other groups. I don't, you know, they don't report to me, but I need certain things from them. And in essence, I'm kind of the leader of this effort because all these other teams would also love for me to be successful. They would love, you know, sales team would love it if I doubled the revenue of this product because that helps their personal goals too and what they're trying to accomplish overall. And, you know, customer support team really needs that engagement because they want to make sure the product has good support. And, you know, everyone's, say, you know, has equity in the company. So they're all like, let's do this, let's do this. So generally, they're going to look to you as a soft leader and take direction. Now, if you're finding that you're not getting what you need from those other groups, yes, those people don't work for you. But what your responsibility is, is to call attention to the problem. You, you may study it and say, look, I'm not on track to hit my 100 million. And I, I've figured out why. Sales team's not selling it the right way. And here's all the evidence I have for it. Now, okay, that gets brought to, you know, more of say like leadership in the company who's going to be like, okay, Johnson, what's going on? Thank you. I understand, you know, often the CEO is going to have to get involved. And then really, and then really those other functional leaders are going to have to weigh in, but you're, you're really there to show and highlight what's going on, what's not happening, what you think needs to change. You come with a strong point of view. And by bringing visibility to it, you know, it shows that you've got leadership, you've got knowledge and intelligence. And then if a sales leader pushes back and says, I disagree, well, there's going to be a discussion and a debate. They may say, Jonathan, the reason the product's not selling is it's a really crappy product. <laughs> so you got to be prepared to defend that and have that debate. But everyone's going to look to you to represent the product side and look to you to have strong opinions about what needs to happen, again, even if you don't directly oversee that. Yeah. You know, something that that you're touching on that I think is really worth calling out here is, you know, when you have that kind of collaboration and you're, you know, effectively leading the organization through the process to get to that objective, how critically important it is to make sure there is a common knowledge and language and understanding across the functions of the organization. And really it requires, you know, leaders today to be trilingual. They have to have an understanding of business. They have to have an understanding of what it means to be customer centric. So they're making smart decisions uh, that are aligned with the market. And they also have to have an understanding of how technology is built and delivered. And so I'd love to hear you expand about, uh, on that, about building those bridges in an organization, because you see this challenge in small teams of a startup of five people as much as you do in large, larger organizations. Yeah, it, um, I've seen it work well, and I've seen it not work well. I think in technology, it often doesn't work well. You know, I had the, um, you know, I had the the real pleasure of seeing a high growth, successful startup go all the way through IPO 
you know, to well north of $500 million in sales. That's not that common. Um, back then, that was a unicorn. And, you know, there was maybe a dozen a year of companies that sort of got into that category. So I feel very blessed that I was able to witness that. Even still, I would say there was a lot of dysfunction in this area. But pra- practically speaking, I think a product manager is going to be well served if they understand how the sales team operates, understand the goals of the sales leadership team, the motivators of the individuals within that team, how are you possibly going to form a partnership with a sales organization if you don't really understand how it works? So again, this is why also, you know, being a product manager feels a little bit like a CEO. Like you don't just, you don't just get to know about the product you've got to understand how sales organizations work and how they're going to sell your product. Okay. And also take that into marketing and customer support. So you've got to build a bridge with empathy to these partners you have similar in a way to how you basically have to build a bridge to the market and empathy with the buyer and the customer and empathy with the value that you're creating for them. Um, and this is this is how you're able to successfully navigate in like to, to be honest, it very rarely happens successfully. Usually, you know, there's like bumps in the road that's not going well. And, you know, when I've run into people that have had that problem, I'm like, okay, well, you know, sales, you think sales are idiots and they don't know how to sell your product. Well, did you train them on how to sell your product? Do you understand exactly why? they're not able to sell it. And often I've found that, you know, people don't really dig in deeply and it's, it's much easier to get into this kind of blame game, you know, within the company, it's like, Oh, marketing did a terrible job, you know, marketing the product and sales doesn't know how to sell it. It's a great product though. And, you know, all this, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, maybe, but you're accountable as the product manager and if you think sales is blowing it, like you got to get in there and really figure out what's going on and as a partner. And do you really empathize with them? Are you speaking their language? Do you understand the, the challenges that they have? You know, I think if you just assume everybody's really capable and for some reason it's not working, you're going to be better off than just like assuming everyone's an idiot but you. And only if they were smart, you know, would you do better? Because that's really not usually the case. Yeah, I mean, and... Almost every instance that I can think of, I mean, this industry is filled with brilliant people with the best of intentions that are trying to do great work. And it's oftentimes I find that they're just missing the context or the the opportunity uh, to to learn or you know level up towards what what's happening in another part of the organization that's that's you know becoming almost uh, putting them in a siloed position. Unfortunately, that that just needs to be unlocked to, to help them move forward. Jim, when we were talking about this, there's another facet of this that that I'm really curious uh, to talk with you about, which is, you know, you're working to build this common language, you're working to deliver value, you know, your executive leadership has set this goal in, you know, in the example of, you know, to double revenue and get to 100 million in, in ARR. Now we've got to establish our strategy for it. And this is one of the areas that I think is also very challenging for a lot of of folks of understanding what is the foundation and fundamentals of good strategy. And I think this is, this is something that I think would be really valuable for us to kind of unpack. Um, Do you want to kind of talk about what your perspective is on, on what that is? 
Yeah, you're so right. Um, you know, there's a lot of individual contributor roles that are pretty tactical, but the product manager role is not one of them. It's it's a role that has um, both a tactical component and most importantly, a strategic component to it. So, okay, great question. Like, well, what does that mean? Uh, you know, in the simplest form, uh, a strategy is sort of like, a, it's like a path to get from one place to another. And so let's say you're at 50 million in revenue, but there's like a lot of other context behind the scenes. You know, how many customers do we have? What's the market been doing? Blah, 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 blah. So there's all this context. And then there's like, how are we doing today? So that's kind of where you're starting. Okay, so look, I'm in a spot today. If I did nothing, I would probably just kind of stay relatively in this spot, right? Servicing these customers, servicing these problems, blah, blah, blah. And revenue might grow naturally a little bit. Maybe the market's just like doing some natural expansion. So if I literally just did nothing, I would still grow a little. But you have this North Star of 100 million in a time frame of 12 months. And you're like, okay, well, if I don't do anything, I will certainly not make my goal. And so what I need is a pathway to get from A to B. I need, I need essentially a strategy that involves me to take a step back, think a little bit bigger about what's going to have to happen in order for me to be able to do this. And often, you know, you think strategically, you're thinking a little more clever, you know, it's not just like, well, I'm going to work an extra hour every week, you know, okay, sure, that's probably though not going to get you where you're trying to get to. And so usually you got to step back and just think more deeply, okay, think, think out of the box, think in larger terms, what is it that you can do? What steps and actions can you take that work in concert with each other? So I'm going to have the marketing team do this. Then the sales team will pick up those leads and do that. The product team is going to be ready with a new capability so that when all these customers come in, they also have some new features. And when I do all those things, I think I'm going to increase my sales. I'm going to maybe decrease my sales cycle. And, uh, and I'm going to pump a bunch of marketing into this new uh, market that I haven't really spoken to and build some demand over there. And when I do all those things, then, and they're all going to work together nice and seamlessly, then I'm going to hit my $100 million goal. Yeah, I think some something you said at the beginning that really resonates too is this idea of, of you know, strategy starting with understanding what your North Star is. Because, uh, you know, so many times I see, you know, people confuse other things with strategy, like, you know, that your that planning is somehow strategy or goals are strategy, but really strategy is an end to a mean to achieve the things that we seek to, you know, really create that future state, that ideal world that we want. And it has to be focused on what impact and at what scale are we going to make for our customers that, um, you know, as, as you were speaking to, you know, enable us to be successful so we can reach that 100 million in ARR. And I think one of the th things that I often see is uh, happen is, is just this simple um, confusing one for the other. And that, that, that. that really is, is difficult then to yeah. empower the organization and the product teams to do you know, all of the things that you've been describing. 
you know, it's got a little bit of a smell to it. When you hear someone say, my strategy is to double sales, that's all they say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You have a goal to double sales. So tell me, how are you going to do that? <laughs> that's where the strategy piece comes in. And, and it, it is so true. I've seen that misunderstood for much of my career. And that's why I think it's great that you and I are talking about this. There's a lot, there's a lot that we just went through. Um, and, and I wish product management was more mature as a function and more people understood this. And like you said, like even the language and like, how do you, how do I, you know, oversee and work with other departments? Like all this is so new that, um, it's just great to have these conversations and, uh, you know, maybe, um, because I think we're getting a little tight on time. I mean, maybe that's a great takeaway for anybody who's who's interested in learning more is just find a community where you can engage with other product management thinkers and leaders. And these are just like questions, like, how do you do this? And like, what is supposed to happen here? And that, and that's how we all learn together uh, is, is by sharing, because, you know, it, you can take some classes and all this. I've done some classes in product management, but I would say learning on the job and through experience and talking to others has, has been the best way that I've picked up things. Uh, to absolutely the same, you know, from my perspective. And I think this need for, you know, anybody in product really, they have to be hungry and curious at all times, you know, to really be able to, you know, start to define uh you know in the, on their own path what great looks like for some of these key things that they're responsible for because if they really are um passionate about this it's really important to be able to start to define those not just for yourself but for those that you work with yeah i love that hey jonathan this has been so much fun today i uh, really enjoyed talking with you and let's do this again sometime yeah, absolutely, Jim. I love our conversations. I get so much value from them every time and really looking forward to the next one. Yeah, I, I tell you what, gentlemen, thank you so much. I could I could keep going. Um, I feel like I got my PhD in, in product management uh, this afternoon. So uh, that was a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate both of you uh, sharing your time, your knowledge uh, with our audience and being on Techlandia. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Tim. It's been great being here. Yeah, thank you so much, Tim. Really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation today. Awesome. Talk to you all soon. <laughs>